You're listening to the audio from Tuesday Night Class at CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this teaching helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Tonight we're going to look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 22, which is actually a pretty big chunk. You know, Sharon got off easy with this, you know, mere seven verses last week. Um, but uh, we're going to be looking at some fun things. If um, Now, I've heard a little bit that uh, my audio has cut in and out a little bit. Uh, if you see that happening, just let me know. Don't let me go on for about five minutes and it's like, I can't hear you. Or um, I've just sent a note to, uh, to my whole family, everybody off the internet. <laughs> because sometimes if they're on it, it, it makes a difference. Usually it's okay. Uh, tonight, we're going to be moving to um, uh, a section that, uh, that began back in chapter 2, verse 11, and Peter kind of brings to an end of this section. And if you look at uh, the passage you're going to be looking at tonight, it begins in verse 8, and Peter begins this section by saying, finally. And when he says finally, he's not saying, okay, finally, this is the end of the letter. But it's finally meaning this is the end of this section. Um, this is the, he's got lots more to say after this, but this is kind of bringing um, this one point to a conclusion. And basically, what is his point? Is that Christians are to treat one another with with all care and devotion, um, and uh, regardless of our role within the church, all of us are called to deny ourselves and to live out our lives in our identity as elect exiles. And what does that mean? Well, it means following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ and coming back to our shepherd and overseer of our soul, right? This is what Michael walked us through two weeks ago. So what does that look like practically? Well, if you have your Bibles, let's look at our passage tonight, okay? Well, let's look at the first part and we'll do the second part in a moment. <laughs> second part is quite fun. Um, this is where I said, Last week, you know, Peter can't say Paul's difficult to read or difficult to understand. Peter's got some parts in here. It's like, I'm not quite sure what you're saying here, Peter. But anyhow, let's look at verse eight. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless for to this you are called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. So have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revalue your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Okay, so we'll, we'll stop there. 
um, Peter begins and he calls us to have unity of mind, right? That's where he begins. Finally, all of you have unity of mind. What is that all about? Well, it means to have our lives shaped by Jesus's commands. That's what he's saying. Uh, he's saying as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are unified, not by our denomination, not by our church polity. We're Presbyterian, not congregational, um, not by any denominational distinctives, but we are unified around the way of Jesus Christ. So he says, have unity of mind. You have to think, uh, remember in Philippians where Paul says, have this mind among yourself. Yeah, like-minded in the word of Jesus. Yeah, have this mind among yourselves. You know, Christ Jesus, though in the very nature God did not quit consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead he emptied himself, right? This is what we should be like. And then he says that um, we're to be sympathetic. Uh, not only to be like-minded, but we're to show sympathy. Now, what does that mean? It means we grieve with those who grieve, right? Uh, we rejoice with those who rejoice. We care about those who are suffering, who are hurting. And what does that require? Well, it requires us listening to one another. And, uh, and our unity is not just about doctrine, but it's about, you know, caring for one another and being in this together. That's what, that's what he's saying. And then he talks about um, brotherly love or, or um, love and tenderness. And so it's a tender heart. And maybe we're supposed to treat each other like family, like a healthy family. <laughs> Some of you are like, I do. Uh, but no, like a healthy family. Um, you know, and, and to look after each other, you know, especially if there's needs. Um, and, we're, and we're supposed to, so we're supposed to be tenderhearted and not harsh. Okay. Then he says we're to have a humble mind. So let me ask you this. What, what does it mean to be humble? Well, if you had to give me a definition of humility, what would that be? What does it mean to be humble? Your differences aside, to see somebody else's view. Okay, to see somebody else's view. Very good. And put your differences aside, yeah. Or, or even your... Um, your right to be first or something like that. Put that aside. Good. Thinking less of yourself than of others. Very good. Yeah. Good. Also, like, submit to God's will. Like, humble yourself and give priority to God, like, what he wants yeah. for you. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah. I, I like, uh, I think it's, um, it's, um, who is it? It's uh, I think Richard Foster. I think he calls it, I'll put it down in the, in the notes here, appropriate smallness. How's that? I like that, appropriate smallness. So to be humble does not mean you're a doormat that people can walk all over. Sometimes as Christians, that's what we think it means to be humble. No, to be humble means to recognize who you are in light of who God is, in light of the whole scheme of salvation. And so it's, it's an appropriate smallness. Um, and this is one of the most important characteristics. We're to have a humble mind. Um, and that is, you know, when we deny ourselves, take up, take up our cross and follow Jesus, it's a weird way of thinking. It's not the way that most people think. And now it's interesting. 
why do you think Peter's saying all this? You know, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Well, and, and then he says, do not pay evil for evil, reviling for reviling. Why would he need to say this? Because people were doing just that. Exactly, yeah, because that's what's going on in the church. So let's, we don't have a um, kind of a rose-colored view of the church. I mean, you only tell somebody to be humble as if they're not being humble, right? You, have, you tell people to have unity of mind if there's disagreements and quarreling. And so that's, that seems to be what's going on in the church, which I think is a little bit comforting because whenever you look at the church in the New Testament, it just reminds you is that the church hasn't changed a whole lot. There's, there's always some bickering and arguing and we all need to hear this, right? And so now the other thing we need to remember is when, we, when we're reading this, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, humble mind, don't repay, you know, revile um, another person for reviling. You have to remember that this is not something that any of us can do if we try really, really hard, right? Get back to our, our big idea is that you have the indicative before the imperative. Who are we in Christ? And then we live out of that. So this is still the same theme. And so if you leave tonight thinking, all right, I guess I better be better at humble, at humility, or I guess I better be a little tender hearted, that twit, um, you know, those sorts of things. If, if you're going to try really hard, you're not, that's just moralism. All of this is a consequence of what Jesus has done for us and being filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's the spirit that transforms us and empowers us, right? I know you guys know this, but I cannot say this enough times. Because if you forget that, you're in a lot of trouble, right? And so that's what... Um, and so that's what Peter's saying. He says, you know, so when somebody um, does something bad for, to you, don't repay them evil with evil or reviling with reviling. But on the contrary, bless, for this is to, to this you were called, that you may attain a blessing. And I don't know about you, but I hear, I hear an echo of Jesus' teaching, don't you? You have heard it say, you know, an eye for an eye but I say unto you, right? Where Jesus teaches us to love our enemies. This is, this, it's this part here. It really, you hear an echo. This is a person who has spent time with Jesus. You hear an echo of Jesus' teaching. And what he's saying, my goodness, talk about in our culture. Yeah, Sermon on the Mount, Kevin, yeah. Um, in our culture, this is really weird thinking. Because the standard treatment, if somebody hits me, is to hit back. Right? If someone or if somebody says something really mean to me on, on Facebook, my, my reaction is, all right, all right. I can use words pretty sharply. Here we go. And, and to fight back. And, and that is, this is a really important reminder for us. Um, and, and this is very difficult for me. I, I'm, I'm a person that if somebody says something or does something to me, my first reaction is to get even or to defend myself. Am I alone? 
No, okay, good. I'm, I was worried there for a moment. <laughs> yes, David, you alone have that issue. Um, well, and that, and this is very counterintuitive stuff. Like I remember when I became a Christian, um, I had a lot of enemies in the company that I worked for. Lots of enemies, and they were out to take me down. They were up to. They they were trying to set me up for something. It was a very corrupt company. I was working in China, and. And when I became a Christian, the first thing I read, I'd never read the Bible before, but the first thing I read was Jesus saying about loving your enemies. I'm like, I hate my enemies. What do you mean love my enemies? But then I've shared this before. I, I, I realized that hating my enemies didn't get me anywhere. So I thought, all right, I'll give it a shot. And so I loved my enemies. I had lots of enemies, but I remember having to run off to the bathroom every 10 minutes in the office. I'm like, I'll be right back. Because every every 10 minutes, I started hating them again. And so I went off and I prayed. I was a new Christian. I'm like, Jesus, you say that this is possible. I'm starting to hate them again. Give me some strength. And he, can. And he, and he did. He really did. But that was, oh, that was so counterintuitive, so different from, from everything I was taught and, and how I operated. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah, Eugene Peters in the message. No sharp tongue sarcasm. I like that. <laughs> yeah. So when we're treated wrongly or verbally abused, we are called to bless. We are to deny our natural tendency to get even. Wow. This is very counterintuitive. Um, well, but this is what uh, Peter's teaching us. So to summarize, he says, he, to encourage us, he, he reminds us in verse nine of two important truths. He says, this, this, you know, blessing instead of fighting back, this is a lifestyle that is at the heart of our calling as Christians, right? What he says, for to this you are called, right? to this you are called. And secondly, he says, God will bless you if you behave in this way. God blesses if we behave this way. And, um, and so that's where he turns his attention. And he, and he quotes, he quotes uh, Psalm 34. And uh, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. Hmm. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So Peter, he quotes and, he's, and he says, you know, this is what you need. This is how we're supposed to live. And uh, he says, if, if you live this way, if you live the way of Jesus, he says, things will go well. You'll see good days. Okay. He says, do you want to enjoy life? Well, this is what you need to do. You need to keep your tongue from evil. Right? What did Jack, how did you put it? No sharp tongue sarcasm. Right? Stop using your words deceitfully and stop doing evil. Um, instead, pursue peace with, with other people. And what will be the result? In quoting that, he says, it will go well for you. Uh, it will go well for you. And, and we saw this last week. He says, you know, he's talking about husbands who treat their wives poorly. Um, if they treat their wives poorly, they can expect that to affect their prayer life. And, uh, you know, Proverbs teaches us if one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. And so what Peter is saying, he's saying, look, 
If you want God's ears to be open to your prayer, align your life to him. Follow in the ways of Jesus. And, uh, and then he also says, and he's quoting this, and he says, he says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, right? So when we line our life according to Jesus, you know, it, it, that's, that affects our prayer life for good. But he says, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, that's a difficult question. That's a difficult topic to discuss. Can God be against his people? He's talking to believers. He's talking to the church. Um, can God be against his people? Well, we see in the Old Testament, certainly see examples of that where God says, you know, um, thus says the Lord, I am against you. I draw my sword from my sheath and I, I cut off both, uh, cut you off from both uh, the righteous and the wicked. Um, have you, he says in, um, in Jeremiah, he says, the Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah, have you seen what she did? The, faith, the faithless one, Israel, how she went on every high hill and under every green tree and there played the whore. And I thought, after she has done all this, she will return to me. But she did not return. And uh, she saw that for all her adulteries of that faithless one, Israel, I've sent her away with a decree of divorce. It's a picture of God saying, look, these, these are consequences to your disobedience. And so you see that again and again, where God says, you know, unless you align your life with my ways and my mission for you, I will cut you off. But that's the Old Testament. Can God be against his people in the New Testament? Some people would say no, but hang on. What does Jesus say in, uh, in Laodicea? To the church. Is that the one where he says, I'm going to spit you out? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're lukewarm. And he talks about the churches. He says, unless, you know, uh, you, you walk with me, I will remove the lampstand. You know, there's a consequence to the church. And we see stories of Ananias and Sapphira. The point is simply this, is that God is, a, is personal. He's not a system. And sometimes I'll meet Christians saying, you know what? Jesus died for my sins. So God, the father looks at me as holy and righteous and therefore he loves me and he just loves me and, and I can do whatever I want basically because I'm saved by grace. And part of me always cringes when I hear that because God is not a system. You can't work God's system against God. Ha! You know, Jesus died for my sin. Father, you can't touch me because I am closed with the righteousness of Christ. You, I am free. Ha, ha, ha. And, and Paul even sees that temptation. He says, you know, in, in the book of Romans, he says, you know, oh, so what shall we say then? Shall we sin more in order God can forgive more? And he goes, of course not. That's stupid thinking. I'm paraphrasing. But uh, sometimes we, we fall into that, into that, um, thinking that, okay, because of the gospel, and the gospel is great news. It is good news. And, and nothing can separate us from the love of God and Jesus Christ. But you can't turn around and say, fine, I'm going to live my life however I want to live my life and really not follow the ways of Jesus. In fact, I will do evil. And the Father can't touch me because I'm saved by the Son. 
man, I think that's a, a, a perversion of the gospel and, uh, and, and kind of dangerous theology. So, um, anyhow, that's what Peter's getting at that in, in this passage. And then he, uh, he shifts gears. He shifts gears. Well, not really. He shifts a little bit. Look at verse 13. What does he say? Uh, yeah, salvation is not a lucky rabbit's foot. Well put, Lori. Yeah. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. This is quite, this is a very practical passage from Peter at this point. Um, he continues this theme, you know, what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, it involves self-denial and, and holiness. Um, and then he says, what will happen? What will happen if as a Christian, you do good in this world? And his, his answer to that is, you'll probably be okay. And, and it is true that generally, if you do good, you'll, for the most part, be left alone. Now, okay, you can think of exceptions, but generally, if you're, if you're doing good, people are going to be mostly happy with you. It's when you're starting to do things that you shouldn't be doing that are wrong, that's where you run into trouble. And so that's Peter's point. He begins, he says, Christians are not likely to suffer for doing good. Just as God blesses the righteous, so evil people will typically not bother with those who are doing good. If you're doing good, you know, chances are nobody's going to come after you, right? And so um, that ought to be how Christians are living. We should be zealous to do good. And his, his point in verse 13, he says, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for doing good? The answer should, the, the question's begging, is nobody. Nobody's going to give you a hard time. But then he says, but here's the thing. There are exceptions. Sometimes good behavior can get us into trouble. Because as Christians, we're not just doing good, we're doing good in Christ. And that could land us in trouble. Like, for example, I don't know if you guys remember this, but I remember back in the 90s, um, you know, Christians suggested that one of the uh, responses to the, the growth of sexually transmitted diseases within society is, is, is abstinence and, and keeping sexual activity within the context of marriage. Just saying that that will lower the amount of STDs in, in, our, in our society. And maybe that's, that's, that, that's the right way to live. Well, my goodness, uh, he got in all sorts of trouble and Christians were criticized left and right for being so prudish and being so out of step with culture. And so here's an example of Christians trying to say, look, this is actually the right way to live and it'll actually bring benefits to society. And this is how we want to live. And people are like, wow, you're just kind of narrow minded and that sort of thing, right? 
So, but here's Peter's point is like, yeah, okay. You could get persecuted for doing good. But even if you are persecuted for doing good, recognize that this is something that Jesus warned us about, right? He, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the, are the persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Peter's already said, look, remember, you have an inheritance that God has given us. And so what you will face in the long run, or just in, 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 in having a relationship with Jesus, is much better than anything you may experience from society. So Peter says, don't be, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be troubled, right? Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. And so he says, the point is that you don't need to be afraid. If you do good, most likely nobody's going to give you a hard time. If they do give you a hard time, you don't need to be afraid of them. <laughs> why, why are you afraid of them? Right? Because think about your inheritance. Think about who you are. Think about what lies ahead. Think about what you have now, even in, in, in your relationship with Jesus. I mean, that, why, why should you be afraid of what the world will throw at you? And I think that's important for us to hear because I think Christians and people in general today are very, very afraid. Um, I think a lot of people are afraid. And a lot of people are letting fear rule their lives. Would you agree? Or do you have any comments on that one? I would, I would say that um, culture has become so toxic today um, that if you, dis if you disagree with one iota of, um, of what is said, then you are, you're, you're called a hater. Uh, you're yeah. called, you know, a racist because everything's racist. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's really toxic today. Yeah, I mean, culture has changed. Uh, Western culture has certainly changed even in the last five or six years to the point where it used to be, um, you know, if I disagree with you and you disagree with me, the, the, the thinking was, hey, you have your truth, I have my truth, we can get along. Like even if you embrace post-modernity post that, you have your truth, I have my truth, and there's no absolute truth, but we all have our personal truth. But we can't even say that anymore. <laughs> you can't even say that because what is what is required is the not just the um, toleration, but the affirmation of ways of thinking and and patterns of behavior that, as Christians, are is is problematic to. And so as Christians, we, it's, it's hard to even keep our heads down and just say, look, I'm not commenting. I'm not being involved. You know, that's your thing. Um, no, you're, you're called to affirm and to endorse. And if you're not affirming or endorsing, then you're, then that's, that's a problem. And, and that is a subtle shift, but a very important shift that's taken place in the last five years, which we're going to come back to again and again, because I do think and this is something that I teach um, to a lot of younger people today. Um, it's in fact, just last week, I had a conversation with a young man 
um, about this is that to to, to work in Vancouver, let's say these days, is you're gonna as a Christian is very difficult, and you it, it will probably cost you your job or certainly a promotion at some point. Um, yeah, it, it 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 is changing, but it's easy to feel afraid as a result. And and this is Peter's point: is that you don't need to be afraid. Uh, you do not. I mean, Jesus teaches us: do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and body in hell. In Matthew ten, chapter verse verse twenty eight. And so, in our passage, we're called um, we're we're called to. Um, honor Jesus as Lord in all that we do. And, and that means being prepared to serve him as an ambassador at all times. And again, again when you're afraid, you, you hide the fact that you're an ambassador. <laughs> you try to keep your head down. You try to stay low. But hey, this, I mean, and this is Peter's next point. What does he say? He says, look, don't be afraid. Live your life. Do good. Chances are you'll be okay. But even if not, that's okay, because in light of who Jesus is, that the benefits far outweigh whatever you'll experience in this world. And the other thing is if someone gives you flack, if someone comes after you and starts challenging you, then what does he say? He says, always be prepared to give a defense, right? That's what he says. In, he says, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. And he says, look, you're going to do good, likely be okay, but if not, if you're persecuted and they come after you for doing good, then you need to be able to explain why you're living the way you're living. And so he says you need to be able to give a defense. And so what does that mean, to be able to give a defense? Well, yeah, that's where we get the word apologia, apologetics, right? Um, is, is giving a defense. And it, it means two things. It means believing and it means confessing, right? Uh, to make a defense means we have to believe the right things, but it also be willing to articulate them. Um, it means um, that we, we live and speak in such a way that shows where our allegiance is that our allegiance is to Jesus as a master of our life. And uh, that's why, you know, that's why um, Peter says this. He's saying we need to be able to, to articulate what we believe. So here's my challenge to you. If someone asks you, why, why do you, or if they say, someone challenge you and say, what do you believe and why do you believe that? Would you be able to answer them? Now, I know most, yeah, I, I mean, I know pretty much every one of you. And I know that, yeah, you guys, uh, you, you know your stuff. And the fact that you're coming to these classes is also an indicator that uh, you, you know your stuff. Um, but it is an important thing uh, to be able to articulate and I would, I would challenge you um, to learn to articulate what we believe in a way that gets around people's defenses in our culture 
And so that's where you have to also understand our culture a little bit. Um, yeah, Paul Little wrote, wrote a couple of those books on that. I remember that. Um, but do you know the gospel? Do you know the good news? And can you communicate it to others? And will you communicate it to others when the, when the questions come? And Peter says, you need to be able to um, always be ready, always be ready. And uh, to give a defense for what you believe. Now, notice what he doesn't say is, is stand on your soapbox and shove it down people's throats. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, look, because again, what's the whole context? The context is, uh, the context is, is look, I'm doing good and people are, are criticizing me for that. And they come after me and they say, why are you doing this good thing? Well, it's because of Jesus. And this is, and, and so you give a defense as to why you are living your life the way you're living it. And so that's the context of this whole passage. And um, I think that's really important for us to know how to do it. But then notice how, what he says. He says, when you give a defense, how, how are you supposed to give it? I with, with, with octane and, and, uh, and, and loud proclamations? Yeah. Gently. Gentleness. And what does it actually say? It doesn't say gentleness and self-control. It is, does say gentleness. What does it say? Or maybe in your passage it does, Kevin. Gentleness and respect. Yeah. Now that's important because what, it, what's that, what that is not saying is not saying gentleness and respect to the person. What it's saying is gentleness to the person and fear of God. The respect is directed towards God. That's important to, to realize. So it is with gentleness. It is with gentleness. We are gentle in our response, but we are bold in our response because of the fear of the Lord. That what matters to us more is our relationship with God than our fear of man. Okay, that's what Peter's getting at in this passage. And um, so again, he's bringing us back to the point that you and I could get persecuted for doing good. And when that happens, when that happens, you need to be ready to give a response. And you do so with gentleness towards them and, and respect and, and fear towards God. And, and, and here's the thing, when you respond with, with gentleness, um, it sometimes throws people off. <laughs> I, I know, I've, I've shared these stories so many times, but I do remember when I was about to be, uh, <laughs> I was about to be fired. I ended up resigning. I was working for this company in Shanghai and I, ended, I got called down to the manager, to the, the owner's um, office in hong kong and uh, i got dragged into his office and uh this guy had gone through eight regional managers in a year in shanghai eight eight of them so many managers i was one of the managers and so i went in there and uh and every single person that that left the company that year they went down fighting and it was it was a mess there was lawsuits there's all sorts of stuff going on and um, I get called into the office, in, into the, into the uh, owner's office. And I just become a Christian. And for me, it was like, 
I'm actually okay to leave this company. I never really liked the company anyhow. And, and I wasn't worried because I thought, hey, you know, if, 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 if Jesus is a real McCoy, he'll, he'll look after me. I don't need to worry about this. Like, I was, I was just like that. It was like, okay, this is my new reality. This is kind of cool. So I went into the office and, and the uh, boss saw me and his back was up. He is, he's ready to just come at me, guns a blazing. He had his, his accountant there as well, you know, as a witness. And he's about to lay into me. And I just said, hang on. I said, before you do anything, um, I just want to say, I, I think I need to uh, resign. And, but before I resign, I just want to thank you for giving me an opportunity to work for this company this year. And well, he just about fell over. And I meant it though, because I did learn a lot at the, at the company. I said, you know, you've, you've, I've learned a lot and uh, it was a good experience. Uh, so thank you. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. And, you know, before I leave, you know, I just want to express my gratitude to you. He, he didn't know what to say. He was just like, Nobody had ever spoken to him that way. And uh, yeah, it was, and so, I remember just before I left, I said, there, there's, a, there's a Chinese proverb that goes, yi ren bu yong, yong ren bu yi, means if you suspect somebody, don't use them. And if you use them, don't suspect them. I said, there's somebody in the company you suspect, but you're still using them. I said, it'll, it'll bite you. And there was, there was a guy who was kind of working behind his back and he never listened to me. And the guy ended up, destroying the company but um but I'll always remember that i mean there's something about responding to people's harshness with uh, gentleness pastor brad was telling me the story of uh just a few months ago where uh he accidentally cut somebody off and the guy just lost it and was ready he was swearing at brad and he was calling him every name under the sun and brad's like look man i'm, I'm sorry i'm sorry and the guy was just in his face, swearing, calling him everything and blaming Brad for COVID, blaming Brad for everything. And, uh, and, and Brad says, look, I said, I'm sorry, but this seems really unusual. Why are you so angry? Oh, this is the fourth time this has happened today. Somebody's pulling. And Brad's, oh, I totally get it. Four times, I'd be upset too. Look, I'm really sorry. And the guy goes, because oh, I'm sorry too. I shouldn't have got so upset. But it was just kind of a, a really interesting response, like in terms of how we respond with gentleness. Um, it's hard, but uh, that's what we're called called to do. So um, let's shift gears on verse 16. What does he say? Um, a good conscience. Yeah, then he says this, um, having a good conscience so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. And what Peter is saying, he's saying, look, if you're going to suffer, make sure it's for the right reasons. He says, if you're suffering because you're doing something dumb and wrong, well, that's hardly a witness, right? He says, if we proclaim a gospel, um, but we don't live a transformed life, well, we're going to come across as, 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 as hypocrites. So he says, if you're going to suffer, make sure you're suffering for doing good. Make sure you're suffering for, for doing the right thing. He goes, and then in the long run, when people see that you did do right and you're suffering for doing right, uh, it will come back and it'll, it'll be to their shame. It will be to their shame. And, uh, 
Yeah, I think, and that's an yeah, that's it's kind of kind of the, the same point. And then, and so so Peter just to summarize this part so far, what does he say? He says he says keep keep doing good, since generally you will not be harmed if you do good, but if you are harmed for doing good, don't stop living for God's glory. Okay, that's basically the summary of what he said so far. Now. Um, what I'm going to get you to do is that beautiful time of the of, of, of our of our gathering, and you'll be so happy to know that I got the breakout rooms running again because of popular demand. I have our breakout rooms ready. Now, this is what I'm going to have you do. All right, I'm going to I'm going to break into groups. One of you is going to read. First Peter chapter three, verses 18 to 22. So basically the remainder of this passage. Now, this is a very difficult passage. There's parts of this is among the most difficult in the entire New Testament. So I'm going to have you read this. So one of you read it. And then what I want you to do, um, rather than trying to solve the puzzle, what, what Peter is saying, what I want you to do is write down or come up with as many questions that come to mind about this passage and it could be like what's peter saying why does he say this what is going on it could be whatever it is so write down as many questions as come uh, that comes to mind as you read this passage so the first thing to do now remember it's awkward in a breakout group so don't just stare at each other and say uh one of you have to read has to read the passage so just read the passage and then just come up with as many questions as you have to say, these are the questions that come to mind about this passage. Does that seem fairly straightforward? Right? That's not so scary. Yeah? Okay. So I'm going to break into your groups and I'll bring you back in a few minutes. Okay. Okay. So that wasn't so bad. Everybody's sort of smiling. <laughs> uh, and, and it's a pretty straightforward passage. What, uh, any questions that came out of that passage? Let's hear them. I don't Let's know where it. Peter was going. <laughs> was that? I don't know where Peter was going. He was like shifting from, you know, after Jesus was, you know, resurrected and then back to the Old Testament with Noah. And yeah. then there's a lot of um, um, shift, <laughs> like shifting yes. and uh, of thought. And uh, yeah, like he was obviously, like as he was writing this down, he was obviously in, you know, with the Holy Spirit, <laughs> just. It's you know what? It's amazing. Well, Rish, I mean, what you're saying is you're, you're asking a very good question. When you're reading the Bible, this, that's a very good question. And it's, and it's this. It's like, where is Peter going? Why does he go in this direction? That's, I think that's a really good question. Because sometimes we're very quick to say, this is what this passage means, which may or may not be helpful. But we also need to know, is like, okay, how, because you know, Peter's no dummy. He's making an argument, right? So how does this help or hinder his argument? You know, what, what is going on here? So that's, that's really good though. Oh, my sound is cutting. Was my sound cutting out again, guys? No. Oh, yeah. It's okay. All right. Good. Um, yeah. Okay. So why does Peter end up going in this direction? Good question. 
what other questions come to mind? Is that, your, is that your question, Peter? He preached to the spirits, meaning what? I, well, I have a lot of questions, but I... Yeah. Uh... <laughs> what spirits was it in? So you're asking who and where? Yeah, so it says that he was raised into life in the spirit. I thought he also raised, raised bodily. So, so then there was some suggestion he raised twice. Raised once in the spirit, went to uh, hell or somewhere to preach to the spirit and then came back bodily as well later. Yeah, um, yeah. And, um, and who is he talking to the spirit? Is that everybody who died before his time or only those people who died after the flood? Yeah, those are good questions. A any other questions? And why does he say- group, oh, sorry. You are, you are uh, as a, you do, but you, you are baptized because you have a clear conscience, so you get baptized. Why doesn't he say you, you baptize because you want to show that you want to die with Jesus and rose with him and you accepted his forgiveness? Why does he say a clear conscience? Yeah, like it's you think- It's a way of saying that now I'm a Christian. Yeah. Because you would say you would think it'd be like I don't have a clear conscience. That's why I need to be baptized. I need I need to be forgiven. Right. I need to obey what Jesus asked me to do to show that I'm following Him. So right. I would do it, but it says out of a clear conscience. Good. Wow, man, Kevin, what were you gonna say? Uh, so verse nineteen, we had two parts to it. What does it mean to preach? Uh, it <laughs> says preach. And yeah. then the second part was who are these spirits that are in prison? And the third question, which is second question, but uh baptism saving question mark. Yeah. There's baptism saving. I said that's a bit shocking uh to even to Protestants, generally speaking. Well, Not all Protestants. Baptist, right? Yeah. <laughs> also oh, no. sorry, Kerry. I was going to say it's Lutherans and a couple other groups that sort of put more of a, an Anglican's uh, sort of a regenerative, regenerative nature That's to true, baptism. Yeah. Well, I, the, the, the Baptists put a lot of emphasis on the, on the form and, and the need as well. Mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah. Sorry, yeah, Peter. I have one more. And it says that he, was, he went to preach to the spirit in prison. Uh, so they're in prison. They're not in hell. Okay. So we do not know what prison means. But this prison is such a is such a prison where he went there because he knew they disobeyed God long ago. But he went to preach to them. It sounds like a waste of time, and uh, as if he's giving them a second chance. But it doesn't sound like he is. So yeah, yeah. confused why he's even going there. Yeah, just to make himself feel good. Yeah. Okay, so we're not really sure what any of the answers are. So let's just conclude. No, <laughs> I think we need. Okay, now. This is going to sound like I, I just was studying this passage. And so uh, you need to know that there's there's multiple interpretations about what's going on. Um, I think what I can offer you might be the best one. It seems to be. Um, it, yeah, I, I think it is probably the, the better explanation. The other ones seem to have problems along the way. But before we get to the spirits and. And where, you know, it says Jesus went, where, 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 how did he go there? Where did he go? But before we get there, it says this, okay, 
Look at verse 17. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Okay, that's Peter's point. If you're going to live a life, do good. If you do good, chances are you're not going to run into trouble. If you do run into trouble, be ready to give a response to whatever, if people ask you what you believe. Because at the end of the day, if you're going to suffer, remember, that's a theme in the book of Peter. If you're going to suffer, it's better for suffering for doing good than for doing something wrong, right? And then he shifts gears. Now, notice this. He says in verse 18, okay, so it's, it's good to suffer for doing good. And then his mind goes immediately to Jesus. Yeah, Lori, exactly. Lori's right on the spot there. Uh, his mind goes right to Jesus. Hey, speaking of suffering for doing good, that is now what Jesus is. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, um, that he might bring us to God, being put to de death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Okay. So what is going on here? So his mind goes straight to Jesus, who suffered for doing good, which is the theme so far. But he doesn't just stop there. Oh, hey, we suffered for doing good. Jesus suffered for doing good. He doesn't stop there. He talks about what Jesus' suffering achieved, being put to death in the flesh, made alive in the spirit. Okay? Um, and if you jump down, we got that middle part that we'll come back to through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers of being subject to him. What he's laying out is, 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 um, is that Jesus who is completely righteous suffered on behalf, on our behalf, on behalf of the unrighteous once and for all for our sins He's, he's talking about what Jesus accomplishes on the cross. Now, why does he do that? Why does he talk about all, he doesn't just say, well, Jesus also suffered. He talks about dying and being raised to life in his resurrection. We'll talk about in the spirit in a second, Peter. Uh, Peter, in, in the, in the, in the uh, letters, Peter's emphasizing the Christian status of believers, that we have access to God, can call upon God, with confidence that his might is greater than anything you and I will face in this world. Okay, this is really important. And not only that, and this is also the emphasis in chapter two, it's because of Jesus's death and resurrection that we have the power, the God-given power, to face whatever suffering happens to come our way. Because that's the theme of the book. Right, And so he says, Jesus being put to death in the flesh, that makes sense, he's killed, but made alive in the spirit. Um, what Peter is saying is that um, he's making it clear that suffering for doing good is not a bad thing. It actually brings blessing. And Jesus, though he died, he was raised from the dead. He's made alive. And the, he's, he's not raised spiritually as in non-bodily but i think what is being emphasized here is that he is being made alive by the work of the holy spirit because jesus does not raise himself from the dead he is raised from the dead and how is he raised by the dead from the dead he's raised by the holy spirit right 
Um, and so I think that's, he, he's laying out the gospel again, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he keeps doing this. And this is key for us because it, it's telling us that it is, it comes back to the suffering, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the key through which all of our living in this world is to be lived. It's because of what Jesus has done we are able to endure suffering. That's a big theme in First Peter. He hits it way back in chapter two when Mike walked us through that. He says he left us a pattern, we follow in his pattern, but then he starts talking about Jesus, you know, who when reviled did not revile in return, but what does it say? He says he, um, he, um, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He bore our sins on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. See, every time Peter talks about the suffering of Jesus, he cannot escape the meaning of the death and resurrection of Jesus because that's the key to help us live the life that we're called to live. There's no sense be holy. There's no sense of saying honor Christ the Lord is holy. There's no sense in saying have unity in your mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind, unless we are somehow empowered to do so. And that is what Peter's getting at here. Okay. So that part, I think, I think makes sense. Like I, it's interesting language, you know, uh, that, that he uses, but it's the part where he goes and proclaims. Yeah, Robin, you say 1 Peter 4, 6 seems to follow. Yeah, it's, it's slightly different, but there's a connection there. That, that's a good, good, good. Man, I love the way you guys, your minds start sinking to different passages. I can't even keep up with all the chat because your minds are just going to different passages and it just warms my heart. But then we read, we read that uh, Jesus, um, was put to death in the flesh, was made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Uh, what? <laughs> okay, so I have a bunch of questions. Um, I have a bunch of questions. The questions I have are, where did he go? Says he went. Where did he go? Who did he speak to? What did he say? When did he go? Was it between his death and resurrection? Was it after his resurrection? After his ascension? Uh, those are good questions. Okay, so here we go. Let, let me give it a shot, okay? See, see how far we can get. Where did Jesus go? Uh, did he go up? Did he go down? Um, the idea of, of up and down, hell being down and heaven being up, like spatially, is, is more of a medieval understanding. It's not really a biblical understanding. Down, hell is not in the center of the earth. Hell is not down below. It's just in, in the ancient world, the lower down you go, the more imperfect things are. The higher up you go, the more perfect things are. That's kind of a throwback to uh, Aristotle's 
cosmology. So it's not so much down. The idea of hell being below the earth is a is an influence of uh, kind of medieval medieval thinking. So we're we're not sure where spatially. Um, but he went. He went somewhere. What did he say? And this is, I think, Kevin. Your sense is 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 right on the mark. Um, because uh, it doesn't say he preached the gospel. In fact, the word that you, that, uh, well, the ESV uses proclaim, proclaim to the spirits in prison. The word that's used to translate for proclaim does not necessarily mean to proclaim the gospel. It, sometimes it's used with the gospel, but not always. It's a proclamation. So Jesus proclaims something. So what is he proclaiming? Um, he has won the victory. Exactly. Well done, Peter. Yeah, he is proclaiming that he has won the victory over he sin and death. The show. And he did so. I think he does so in his post-resurrected glorified body because that would be the full victory. Um, so, but who does he proclaim this to? Well, there's spirits in prison. Why would Jesus need to proclaim something to these particular spirits? Now, again, there's different views on this. Some people say, well, the, who are the spirits? They're the souls of the faithful in the Old Testament. Some people say the spirits are the souls of those who died in Noah's flood. And they're kind of in Hades. Like the Hades is not hell. It's like a holding place. Um, and they, and they hear the gospel. Or some people say the spirits are fallen angels or that the spirits are demons, offspring of fallen angels. Okay, so which, where do we go here? Well, um, I don't think the spirits are human beings because uh, the word spirit being applied to human beings, you seldom see it. I think there's once in the in the book of Hebrews is it applied to human beings? Um, spirit, the word spirit is usually used in reference to supernatural beings. Yeah, Michelle, well done. Um, yeah, usually to do with supernatural beings, and we learn their identity. We learn their identity in verse 20 because they formerly did not obey when god's patience waited in the days of noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few that is eight persons were brought safely through water so it's likely they okay i'm going to make a case for it it's likely they're spirits who disobeyed during noah's time and that means, again, I don't think they're human beings. They're not the people that died in the flood. Because why? Why would, why point out just the people who died in the flood? So they're the wickedest people. And so they get a second chance. Is that a picture? I don't, again, the word pneuma, the word spirit doesn't fit with people. Um, and so who are they? Well, I think they're supernatural beings. In particular, they are unclean spirits. I mean, that Jesus often encounters in his own ministry. And so I don't think he's talking about dead people. 
there's similarities in Peter's language. Now this is, I'm, I, I just, I'm learning this, right? Don't think I'm an expert in ancient Jewish apocalyptic literature. I'm not. Um, but there is an, an ancient Hebrew apocalyptic text, which is called First Enoch. And in First Enoch, in your notes, you'll see there's a, there's a quote from there. And this is how, has anybody, actually, this is I probably, I shouldn't bring it up, but I'll just bring it up. Has anybody ever seen the movie Noah with Russell Crowe? And you watch that movie, Noah, it's like, okay, what was the director smoking? What's with these rock monsters and all this stuff going on? Well, this, a lot of it is drawn from first, this ancient apocalyptic text. And once you realize that, it's like, okay, well, maybe it's not so far-fetched. Anyhow. So in First Enoch, chapter 15, this is what we read. And now, the giants who are produced from the spirits and flesh, okay, so something unclean and something human being joined together, shall be called evil spirits upon the earth, and on the earth shall be their dwelling. Evil spirits have proceeded from their bodies because they are born from men and from the holy watchers. Watchers is another term for something like a, like a spiritual being or something like that is their beginning and their primal origin. They shall be evil spirits on earth, and evil spirits shall they be called. As for the spirits of heaven, and heaven shall be their dwelling, but as for the spirits on the earth, which are born upon the earth, on earth shall be their dwelling. And the spirits of the giants afflict, oppress, destroy, attack, do battle, work destruction on the earth, and cause trouble. They take no food, but nevertheless hunger and thirst, and cause offenses. And these spirits shall rise up against the children of men and against women because they have proceeded from them. Now in Genesis 6, many of you know this, if you know Genesis, there's this strange passage in chapter 6, verse 2, where um, you come across the sons of gods or sons of gods. Yeah, something like that. Um, Peter explicitly connects these spirits with the days of Noah. And so it seems, it seems that what these spirits are, are the dead offspring or the offspring of the watchers. And because there are these sons of God, they slept with human women. Now, if you've never heard of this passage and you're listening to this to, for the first time, you're like, what is he talking about? Well, you actually have to go back and read it. Um, it's a very mysterious passage. So the spirits in 1 Peter 3.19 could be the spirits of the dead offspring of the angels and human women that we read about in Genesis 6-2. So they're not spirits of people who would die, but spirits of another type of being altogether who came from an illicit union between fallen angels and human women and then who had died in the flood. So they, they typify, they, they're types, they are sim symbolic of the unclean spirits that Jesus finds in his ministry. So what Peter could be doing is he's finding the story that, that would be known in, in, in Jewish circles. That would be known from the, the book of Genesis. And he's basically locating the story of Jesus in this story of Noah and just saying, you know, in the same way Jesus triumphed over all the principalities and powers through his life, death, and resurrection. It's, it's a, it's, he also these these principalities and powers are symbolized by this group in in Genesis chapter six, 
And so the picture that we get is a picture, and I think this is a key part, is a picture of Jesus proclaiming victory in the face of forces that are anti-God. And so he is proclaiming that he has won the victory. And, and Peter is using this microcosm, the story of Noah, to make his point. Yeah, and, and it could be that uh, it could be that uh, Jesus told his disciples about it, or it could be that the, the other argument, though, Peter, is the other argument is that Peter is using this as a story, the story of, of Noah and what people knew about it, just as a way of giving an example of what Jesus has done. There's some debate about that, but we can't solve that, that issue tonight. Um, so that's what it seems to be getting at. I think that it's not like it's without problems, but that seems to be probably the most faithful interpretation, I think. Um, Um, yeah, I, sorry, I, I just, I saw Kevin, your, your point in, in the word is not the, the word to use a spiritual being, to, to use, um, um, like a spiritual being or, or, uh, spirits to refer to human beings. You don't see that unless it's, it's, um, unless there, you don't see that in the Bible, except in one spot. And usually you have spirits when it's connected to a human beings being explicitly connected this and in 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 that case the the way it's used in this passage there's no connecting point and it seems most commentators would say it doesn't seem to be connected to human beings just answer answer your question there wow great question okay so let's talk about baptism now <laughs> well actually um before we get there let me, let me ask this question so, and it's Rish, it's kind of the question you're asking. So why is Peter making this point? Why is he bringing up first Enoch and the story of these sons of gods and these, these offspring and these unclean spirits and Jesus proclaiming the victory? Why is he bringing up this point? Like, how does this fit? Because I mean, that's the other thing is we can't just interpret it. We have to say, okay, what, how does this fit with his overall argument? Some, some believe that, um, that this was Satan's plan once he heard it prophesied that, you know, from the woman's seed, uh, the world would be redeemed. And so um, these uh, spirits that mated with, with humans was to infect the bloodline that the Messiah, the Savior, was to come through. Hmm. Interesting. And, but in, in terms of Peter's argument that he's making, like it, so far, he's talking about people doing good and getting in trouble for doing good. How does this, I mean, I, I would say, Peter, maybe use a different example next time, but um, how does this example that he gives us, how does this fit with with the immediate context of what he's with what he's teaching, maybe without the Spirit, that Holy Spirit, we cannot do good, the good things. Okay, uh, we need that one. Yeah. yeah, probably baptism is like proclamation. 
Yeah. Baptism is like, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Peter's calling us to live a life of holiness, right? And holiness is, is about obeying the way of Jesus. And so what Peter, 1 Peter 3 does is he sets up some very stark, gross pictures of disobedience to the way of Jesus. So it's, it's a stark contrast because he's saying, look, we have, to, we have to walk in the way of Jesus, even if it gets us into trouble, even if it gets us into trouble. And here's the thing. It may get you into trouble and everybody may say you're stupid. Everybody may say you're out to lunch for walking in the ways of Jesus. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. In the same way, only eight people survived. Only eight people were set apart and kept by God through to the other side. You may be a minority, but because of the work of Jesus Christ, you will arrive safely through the other side. I think that's a connection to, to, um, to, the, to the Noah story. Because he says, because notice what he says. He says, there's just eight people, right? He says, um, he says, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely, safely through the water, safely through the flood. And I think what Peter is saying, look, when you do right and you get in trouble for this, you may feel like the entire world's against you. But you have to remember the entire world was against God and look, look what's the consequence. You may be walking with Jesus and there may just be a few of you, but remain steadfast. One, because Jesus has won the victory and two, he will bring you safely through to the other side. I think that's why he's working with this illustration in, in, in the book of Noah or in the, in, the, in the book of Genesis, in the story of Noah. Remain in the ark and he is in us. Oh, very good. Yeah. And so that seems to be what is, um, is going on. And so, again, he, he's, he's emphasizing, when he's talking about the eight people, he's emphasizing that, that we live in a world where we don't belong. We come back to the theme. We are elect exiles, strangers in a strange land where the world does not acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord. So then he uses the language of baptism. <laughs> they brought safely through the water. They're saved through the water. Baptism. And now he's saying baptism saves us. Oh, my goodness. Baptism saves us. Um, what is that all about? Well, there's... And, and, and notice how he says it. He says... Um, Baptism, verse 21, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. What's he saying here? Is he saying baptism? In it? Does baptism, do we, is baptism in itself something that will save us? Well, no, we know it's not. And even Peter's saying that, because he's saying it's not the water that washes away the dirt that's going to make any difference. The baptism symbolizes the whole picture of being saved. Like the whole picture of what Jesus has done and our response in faith and living in obedience. That's the picture of baptism. But having said that, baptism still figures prominently in this. Baptism is not, that is part of the whole process. And so my challenge to you if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and have not been baptized, 
then it may be something to consider because that is part of the whole story of, of, uh, of, of us living as elect exiles. So, so the appeal, so the appeal here, um, when he says, and there's some controversy about it in terms of how to translate this, but as an appeal to God for good conscience, he's basically saying that um, baptism is just because of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ in the work of salvation, our conscience has been made right. Our conscience has been, has been, um, has, has, has been made right. Sorry, I just got a, a notification. Um, yeah, so Peter's making it clear that that, G, that Jesus has brought us to God through his suffering, has saved us from his, uh, through his resurrection. He's been exalted into a place of ultimate supremacy at the right hand of God. And all this is because God willed it. And so the conclusion is, the conclusion uh, is this, if we're struggling, um, if you are struggling, then we are to suffer. But if you're to suffer, you suffer for righteousness sake. And we need to be zealous for doing what is good. And we need to do all these things um, in response to what Jesus has done. So this entire passage just is full of the gospel. This is what Jesus has done. Um, you know, he talks about through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who's gone into heaven. So he's talking about his ascension. He's at the right hand of God with, with angels, authorities, and powers being subjected to him. And that goes back, I think, just to reiterate what he's doing to this, when he's preaching to these, uh, to these spirits, is he's proclaiming that Jesus is Lord of all. He's Lord of the universe. And Paul emphasizes this in, in all throughout his writings as well. Because Jesus is exalted, because Jesus has won the victory, death no longer can be, we do not need to be afraid. Death no longer has a final word. If people make fun of you for doing good, that's okay. Because the one who we are uh, allied to is the one who is sovereign and victorious over all history. And so do not be afraid. That is a context for living righteously. I think that is what Peter is getting at in this very difficult passage. <laughs> the whole passage isn't bad, but just that one section is a little, little bit difficult. Any, um, any David, thoughts on that? David, can you say that again? It sounds really good and I lost it. Can you say it again? Oh, yeah. I don't know if I can say it again. Um, well, I mean, one of the things Peter is saying is that you and I, we need to live holy lives and we need to live holy lives, but recognize that if you live a good life, you should be okay. If you get persecuted for doing good, recognize that Jesus suffered for doing good. More than that, Jesus, um, through his life, death and resurrection, defeated death, defeated the principalities and powers. All authorities are subject to Jesus Christ. He is exalted at the right hand of God. He is exalted on high. So no matter what flack we experience for trying to live righteous, no matter what persecution we experience, no matter what suffering we experience, we have it in the context to say, Jesus has won the victory over all things. And therefore we do not need to be afraid. And we can live holy lives knowing that at the very end of the day, there may just be a few of us. There could just be like eight of us on the ark, 
the whole world could be saying you're crazy. But in the end, you will be vindicated because Jesus was vindicated. You, in the end, there's victory because Jesus has won the victory. That is what I think Peter's getting at in this passage. And so we, we, we live our lives and we live our lives devoted to Jesus, even if we experience suffering, knowing that, hey, often people are offended by holy living. But even if they're offended, and even if you feel really alone, just remember that, uh, what is it? Only, only dead fish go with the flow. <laughs> um, you know, you have to go, run against the, 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 the way of the world and that could land us into trouble. And I've said this, uh, and I've shared this with you before. I, I've said this to young people that this is this is a challenge. Um, I, I tell them, um, I'm old enough that if 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 something really goes bad, I can always retire. I'm pretty close, right? I can see retirement maybe in the distance. But hey, if you're 20, 21, 22, you're just starting out, and you're told to participate in, in, in this parade or you're, you're told to endorse and affirm this viewpoint that's very anti-Christian, um, it could cost you a promotion and it certainly could cost you a job. And that the cost of discipleship for the younger generation is going to be quite high. But the reality is, is this has been the cost of discipleship for most of the world outside the West for a long, long time. Yeah, Pat, that's a big question. Who are they? It was it was Noah and his family. Those were the eight. Yeah, but yeah, that well, we, I mean, that would be a further discussion um, for um, for our study on the Book of Genesis. <laughs> cool. Any uh, any other questions? You guys did well. You stayed stayed up and you asked great questions. We went a little bit over time, so. Okay, well, hey, next week, uh, we're actually three, three weeks away from being done First Peter. We hit uh, chapter four next week. Oh, and then just chapter five, and we're done. Chapter four and five. So we got three weeks left. All right, that'll take us to the beginning of June. Sound good? All right, let me uh, close in prayer. Lord, thank you for your grace, and thank you for the good news of, uh, of the gospel. And we do pray that you would help us to always be ready to give a defense uh, to anyone who asks us for the reason for the hope that we have and help us to, uh, to give a defense with gentleness, but also with an eye to the fear of the Lord, that uh, we live our lives and we take our orders, we are marching orders from, from, from you. And we're thankful that even if we do experience suffering for doing good, that one, Jesus has gone ahead of us. And because of his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, and his defeat of all the powers, that we know that the worst thing that we could ever experience will never be the last thing. But the last thing is victory, not because of anything we've done, but because of your amazing grace and love. And so help us uh, to stand firm and not to waver and to be willing to speak boldly and kindly and gently 
um, and proclaim the hope that we have in Jesus. That's our desire. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks for participating in this class. If you've been engaging in classes online, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.